Howdy. Hey, the mic's on. That's first time. Woo! Yeah. Um, hey, you guys, man, say a prayer. It's, uh, I didn't sleep at all, and I thought, you know, God must be really wanting me to think about this message. And maybe I didn't prepare enough, and I realized I drank sweet tea at like 9 o'clock, and I'm 43. So I didn't sleep at all because I can't drink caffeine at 9 o'clock. And then we got here, and our, one of our guitarists has a stomach bug. So guess what? I'm playing guitar, and then I realized I hadn't even seen two of these songs. So we're doing good this morning. How about you? Good. Say a prayer while I'm preaching. I'll need it. Um, hey, listen, Romans 3, 21 to the end of the chapter is arguably one of the greatest groups of Scripture and text in the Bible. It is the good news, all right? I don't get to talk about that. John decided to save that for himself. Next week, spoiler, more bad news, right? He decided that he had had enough of the bad news, called me, said, hey, you need to start preaching on some bad news. I said, okay, no problem. So I'm calling this the bad news circumcision. And I have a slide slow presentation for you guys. If you Come on. We can have a little fun. It's church, right? It's okay. We can have fun, right? And I'm here, and I'm the fun haver. So that's why they, that's why they put me on the floor. Uh, but no, seriously, more bad news. It's a lot of bad news. And it's not going to get better. This one is actually called the bad news for everybody. Because it is bad news for everyone. And it is a big hunk of Scripture. And uh, I'd like to think that if you could get this pictured in your mind, that at the end of this text, Paul is setting up for his closing argument, right? If you can imagine this being a courtroom, he kind of gives that analogy toward the end that he is giving his closing argument. And at the beginning, just to recap a little bit, we talked about the good news just for a second, the gospel just for a second. Why we need salvation, then it just went into, because we are terrible people. Because we cannot do it ourselves. And he went through all of that. He talked about the Jews, and he talked about how some of them were actually doing good, but they're judging other people through it, so they're no better than anybody else. And I'll challenge you, if any of you missed this so far, and if you're not in a group, get in one, and go back and look at what you've missed, because you've missed a lot. And today, normally I get up here and say, hey, we're in the middle of this series, or, hey, I get to close out this series. I don't think I've ever said that this is message five of 4,000. <laughs> I've never done that. But I'm going to today. This is actually message five of, I don't even know how many, we're not going to count them. But the re- there's a reason why we're in it, trust me. If John is willing to do this, this is not his thing, okay? Like maybe five, maybe a month, maybe two months, ten months, not his thing. But there's a reason why we're doing it, because it's important. And we've got to get through the bad news before we get to the good news. And a little bit about Paul, real quick, because I think it's important that you know this and that we recap this. Paul was the Jew, okay? He was tenacious in everything that he did. He was well-versed on the Scripture. 
He was that annoying kid in Awanas or whatever you have, club cadets or something, that knew all the scripture. He did all the homework. He won every sword drill, okay? He was the one that made you look bad. That is who Paul was. He was a leader, and he knew exactly what was going on because he studied it all the time. So when God changed him, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was getting. He was getting someone who would do that for him. And he knew he needed someone, I think, to cross that bridge. Someone that no matter what they said, he would say, I already know what you're going to say because I've been there and I've done that. This is the truth. And he would never, the Jews were never going to listen. They didn't listen to anybody anyway. But they're never going to listen to a Gentile. They're never going to listen to a Greek. They're never going to listen to anybody else. But they might listen to a Jew who was Paul because they knew exactly who he was. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 3. We're going to read this scripture with me real quick. And if you haven't got your Bibles, uh, if you do, it's chapter 3, Romans 3. We're going to read 1 through 21. Uh, or 20, 1 through 20. We're not getting into the good news just yet. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, you can go to Version, and uh, you should because I work really hard to put that stuff up there. And uh, it's a good thing to follow along with me, all right? So here we go, Romans 3. What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the prophet of circumcision, much in every way? Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For the truth of God has increased through my my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil, that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness? Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. I know what you're thinking. What did I just say? That's fine. That's what I was thinking too the first time I read it. What did I just read? I have no idea. After about four verses, I know you've already swiped up if this is TikTok or something like that because your attention spans aren't long enough to read something like that. So we're going to do it a section at a time, verse by verse, and talk about it because it breaks down like that. And let me tell you a little bit about what's happening right here in this moment. 
Okay? Paul is doing something very interesting. He's doing something I do all the time. He's talking to himself. He's having an argument with himself. Don't, don't act like you don't do it. Don't act like you don't have every conversation you could possibly have with someone before you have it, so you'll be completely planned when you have that conversation and then realize that you wasted all that time. Okay? That's not what Paul's doing. That's what I do. But Paul knows what they're going to say. He's probably already experienced it a little bit, but he was them. So he knows exactly what their argument is going to be. So in this letter, he doesn't have the opportunity to write the letter, get it back, see what's going on, and then talk to him again. He has to go ahead and do it all at once. And that's what he's doing. And let me just explain to you that when I read this, you will realize that they are really dumb. The arguments they have are just stupid, okay? But as stupid as they are, by the time you get to the third one, you will realize that that is more relevant today than probably any other time in our history, which makes it even worse, okay? So let's get into this. Paul arguing with himself about what the Jews are saying. Verse 1 and 2, we're going to take it real slow. What advantage then has the Jew or was the prophet of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. All right, stop. Argument number one. What's the point? What's the point of being a Jew? Like now you're telling us that we're saved by grace through faith. So what was the point? What was the point of all the laws, of all the rules, of trying to obey everything? What was the point of everything that we have been through, everything we've gone through in the past, which is a legitimate argument? The Jews didn't get it, though. The law was supposed to show them that they were not good enough because there's no way they could keep it and then point them to Jesus when he came the one who could fulfill the, the righteous one. But that's not what happened. It's still not what's happening. The law, because they were given it, made them feel like they were better than everybody else. And when Jesus came, they didn't believe him. And I've been trying to think about this, and because some of these are, I mean, look, I know what we're reading. And in order for us to make this relevant to us, I was trying to figure out what that could be. Like, how does that relate to us as a church today? And I came up with this. Because John has said this, I have said it, and I grew up what I used to think was without testimony. Okay, I, I'm sorry, I didn't, I wanted to go through a bunch of stuff so that I'd have something to talk about that I went through. So I'd have a really nice testimony. And then I talked to somebody, like John did, about that, who had been through a lot, and he says, you're an idiot. I would love to have been raised the way you were. I would love to have not gone through the stuff you went through because it brought you to where you are today. That was supposed to be what happened to the Jews. 
That was supposed to set them up for Jesus when he came, but it didn't. And now they're saying, what good was all of that? In every way, Paul says, you were given everything. You had, the, you had a fresh start no one else had. You were given the laws. You were given, you were given the first step that he never gave anybody else. And you wasted it. And that's what we do. We waste it. Hey, because we don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to think about the past. But the past is what sets you up for today. That's what got me up here. Every benefit God has ever given you has put you where you are right now, whether that's good or bad. I had a picture come up with my wife. Actually, last night, my wife showed me Facebook. She said, oh, look at this. And I don't know if John even knows this. Five years ago today was the first weekend I preached here at CFC. And the first thing I saw was a skinny guy with no gray hair. I thought, man, where did that guy go? But in that moment, you learned who I was. I gave my testimony. I talked about my dad and I did all that stuff because I wanted you to know all the stuff I had gone through that brought me to where I'm at today. That stuff's important. So don't throw it away. As much as you say, what good was it? It was the best. You had everything that no one else had and you threw it away. All I want to say out of this is, whatever you've gone through, whatever you're going through right now, God will use it. He uses it all the time. If you let him. And it may be nasty. It may be bad news. And it might be good news. But regardless, if you're in the right place, God can use it. And he will. The Jews were supposed to be the light of the world. They were supposed to be the messengers. They missed it. Because of arguments like this. What good was it? It was everything. All right? Dumb argument number one. Dumb argument number two. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithlessness, the faithfulness of God without effect? And then he says, certainly not, which in the Greek says, here's your sign. <laughs> See, I can be smart too. That's okay. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written. And then Paul pulls out that sword drill stuff, that Awana stuff right here. He starts using the scripture against them because they're supposed to know it. That you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. And here's, we're going to see this in a minute, and it's very interesting because Paul starts throwing scripture at him that off the, seems like off the top of his head, right? We're going to get into, we read an entire part of it, starting in verse 9. He's just popping scripture off at him, and this is one of them. He doesn't need to argue it, because it's already in the scripture, but he does anyway. Let me read that again. For what if some do not believe, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? What he's saying is, what if some people don't believe? Does that mean God wasn't true? 
Does that mean God's a liar? Does that mean his faithfulness doesn't work? He isn't faithful? I don't even know what to say about that one because it's, it's dumb. No. What? So what if people, if people don't believe that means God's faithfulness, God is less true? Let me tell you something. The easiest way I talk about this, what is your first instinct? Is it ever to do something good? You can answer, it's okay, it's a safe place. No. Our first instinct is to do the bad thing. We want what's now. We want it right away. That's our first instinct. You can call it human condition, you can call it fault, you can call it whatever you want, but our natural instinct is to do the wrong thing. There's reasons for that. That's what we jumped to the first time. So does it, does it surprise me that people didn't believe? No. People always don't believe. Then he says, that doesn't make God any different. It makes people lie, a liar. And God, truth, and just. It doesn't change who God is. God is perfect. He's always the same. And the problem is, and I'm going to get a little into, into the stuff right now. I might step on some toes. That's okay. We'll fix that later. The problem is, is that light drives out the darkness. And in that problem is that in the dark is where all the stuff we don't want anybody to know is. So for us today, half the time we run from the light because we are scared of what it will reveal in the dark. We are scared of what people will see that they're not supposed to. Did people not believe? Of course. People always don't. Because they don't, want, they don't want to stop what they're doing. Or they don't want it to be revealed. It doesn't change who God is. And this is where I'm going to step on your toes a little bit. Because some of our natural instinct, some of our muscle memory is off because we don't have it in this. This isn't the first thing we go to. God isn't the first person that we go to. Our friends are the first people we go to most of the time. If things aren't going right, we go to our phones, we go to Google, we go to WebMD, we go to something besides God because that's not our first. We aren't flexing this muscle. We aren't learning to use this. So it's not our first instinct. And at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, we come to God when there is nothing left to do, when there is nowhere left to go. This should be the first place you go. And then you tell your friends what you found out. The problem with the darkness is that we go to dark to fix things. We go to people who are just as messed up as we are. 
Can I tell you something? If you've got a problem, put God first. Where's God? Where is God in your life? Every day. What are you flexing? If you've got a problem with some of your friends, where's God? Do they know it? Put God first. Get rid of your friends. If you've got a problem with your job, where's God? You talk to him about it? Put him first. He might change it. He might leave you there because he thinks you need to talk to somebody that's there and use him as a witness, but if he's not first, he can't help you with that. Are you having trouble with your marriage? Where's God? Where is he? Put him first. You have to talk to him. You have to communicate with him because the light drives out the dark. And if you're not putting light into your life, it will fill itself with darkness. It will. I notice, and I'm just going to use myself as an example because it's easier. And I'm, listen, we're all messed up, okay? I'm terrible. I do the best I can, but we're all messed up, right? I'm, I'm standing up here as one of you. And remember, I'm part-time, so I'm only part-time responsible for what I say. Okay? <laughs> remember that. That's how this works. Thank you, Jess. It's exactly how it works. And, hey, enough from the peanut gallery, okay? And listen, if you've got a problem... Just email Jeremy at carolinafamily.church. I'll make sure it gets where it needs to go. Okay? No problem. But every time I have a problem in my marriage, when there's something going on with me and Monica, like recently, I was gone longer than I've ever been gone before since we got married. It just happened that way. In fact, I was out of town and got a call to continue being out of town. I was like, well, I'm already out of town. I might as well just keep going. And I am not the best uh, conversationalist on the phone. It's just not my thing. That really has been. Like, I check in and it's, hey, how you doing? How was your day? But we don't get in the conversation, right? It has been that way forever. So when I'm gone for two weeks, two and a half weeks, 15 days, 16 days, our communication really struggles. And when I got back this time, there was something between us. There was something going on. It wasn't natural. It wasn't normal. And all it took was communication to fix it. We went to dinner and we sat down and it wasn't anything was wrong. It's just that we hadn't talked. That's my best friend. We hadn't spoken to each other in two weeks. And what fixed it was that communication. Listen to me. If you're not communicating with God, it's the same thing. He's right here. He's not over there waiting until something's wrong to come in and sweep it. He wants to be part of your life every single day. And if you're not getting into this and talking to him and praying and seeking his advice every day, you're not filling your life up with light and it's going to be filled up with darkness. It's just the way it is. It's got to be one or the other. So this argument about does my, the fact that I not believe make God any different? No. 
Here's your sign. Just a dumb argument. And the last one is the worst. It is the worst. It is so dumb. But it is the most relevant to us today, which is worse. Listen to this, verse 5. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil, that good may come? As we are slanderously, slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. Okay, look, here's what's happening. They're saying, well, if God's righteousness is revealed in my despicableness, why should I not go on being despicable to show God's glory? If God's grace and his righteousness is shown even more because I'm so nasty that he's gracious enough to forgive me, why should I not go on sinning and be the worst I can be because it shows his grace and righteousness even more? That's really stupid. <laughs> but this is what we're in today. This is the culture. This is the Christian culture in the church today. And it would be us if we weren't very careful. Because our... <laughs> this is so stupid. We have... It is so hard to be a Christian today. To be a good, solid foundation Jesus follower. Because there's so much junk going on. People calling themselves Christians who are in this and doing this. And churches who reform and change into a completely other domination because they don't want to hurt people's feelings. Because we should all be able to do whatever we want to do. Because God is love, right? We're going to sing that song later on. You're missing the point. This idea that you can know God and continue doing whatever you're doing is not right. It is not correct. And listen to me, because I, listen, I, and I'm not getting in a once saved, always saved. That's not the argument I'm getting into, but I am going to step on some toes right now. I am going to argue that if that is where you are, you never knew God in the first place. If you can say, I'm just going to believe in God, and then go on doing whatever I want to do because He has saved me, I would challenge that you know who God is in the first place. Because when you get to the cross, it has got to transform you. When you find out who Jesus is, that He died on the cross for you, and what He went through to do it, it has got to transform your life. God's grace has got to do something inside of you. And if it doesn't, then I would challenge what you know and believe in the first place. 
I would challenge where you're at. If you can be this person, I would challenge who you are inside and what God you know and what God you think you know. Because the God I know brings peace and love and joy and hope and freedom from that stuff, not to live in it, not to be part of it, to rise above it, to be light in the darkness. If there is no light, or think about that. And then, at the end of all the foolish arguments, Paul says, okay, that's it. My closing argument. This is where it ends. This is where the bad news ends. I'm going to close it down right now. I'm going to shut your mouths. And he starts quoting the scripture back at him. Word for word. Sorry, not word for word. It's off the top of his head. So it's paraphrased. This is where, okay, this is where you need to be in a group. Can I just say that? You need to be in a group because the group is going to do something that I cannot do up here. I do not have time. Nine through 17, nine through 18, he starts spouting off one-liners. And John, I put it in your version too, so you can look at it there, but I'd love for you to go in a group and hash it out because it's really interesting. You need to talk to other people about it. There's scripture references, right, that he's paraphrasing. Bam, 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 all, all of them straight in a row. John has listed what verses those came from and then listed the entire section of that verse that it's inside of because it's just bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, and we are all in it. But the good news is that God came to save us from that. And he always brings good news when he brings bad news. So those scripture cross-references will show you the good news that comes from the bad news that Paul delivers. All right? And I'm just going to read back through that real quick. Because I was talking to this about this with my wife at dinner when we were having this communication. And she said, you realize you've only gone through like half of it and it's been an hour. And I said, really? She said, yeah, and you know that I'm in kids this weekend. I said, fair enough. All right. So we got to get going. As it is written, this is, he's just spouting these off. There is none righteous. No, not one. Verse 11, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. The first thing he does is attack where you live. This is who you are. None of you are worthy. No one is righteous. We've already talked about the fact that the Jews and the Gentiles and the Greeks and the barbarians, they're all the same. We're all the same under God. He came to save all of us. You're the chosen one. You're supposed to be the messenger and the light. You're not. That doesn't matter now. You're all the same. But none of you are worthy of it. 
None of you are good. None of you seek after God. John 6 says, God is the only one who can draw you to him. So without that light, none of us are good. None of us seek after God. Verse 13, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under the lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their mouths speak death. What do you say? That one hurts. That one hurts. Because I try to be positive. I really do. But when you get around people who are talking like this and their mouths are death, you join in. It's tough not to. And that's something I've really tried to work on. But it's tough. Because I don't want people seeing me like that. I want to stop that. So that they can come to me and feel comfortable when they need to talk about something in here. And not think that I'm just going to join in with whatever they say so I'm just the same as they are because I'm not. I've been delivered of it. But a lot of times I get right back in it. None of you are good enough. And your mouths speak death. All of us. So it talks about what comes out of our mouth. Then it talks about where we go. Who's, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that last one is the kicker. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no reverence of God. There is no knowledge of God. And it comes right back to our motto, what we live for. If there's no fear of God, you do not know him. You do not have hope. You cannot be free. And you can never do good. It walks right into it. That is the scariest one to me. But there is no fear of God. Because without it, I cannot know him. And then he finishes. And I didn't even know this when I read it. I was reading it with John. John's the one that pointed it out in verse 19 because he's a smart one. That's okay. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Listen, this is what he's saying. He's done. He's addressed the jury. And John told me, and I researched a little bit, he's right. Tried to prove him wrong. Didn't work because he's right all the time. Listen, not all the time. Jess is right all the time. John's right when she li- he listens to Jess. So that's cool, right? <laughs> Back then, when there was nothing left for the defendant to say, they would put their, ma- their hand over his mouth signifying that there is nothing left. That's what it represents right there. Every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty. There is nothing left. There is no alibi. There is nothing left. You are guilty. We are all guilty. 
under the law, because of the law, because of sin, we are guilty. That's the bad news. All that nasty stuff. That's the bad news. Because this is who we are. We are all of this stuff. And we have no excuse. We have no way out of it. In and of ourselves. that brings us to the good news, right? That brings us to what John gets to talk about next week. <coughs> Spoiler alert. But I want to read you one thing because I just can't leave you like that. But, and this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And everybody's familiar with John 3.16, right? It's past that. Keep reading. <laughs> John 3, 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And here it is. And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And like what I just said, that light is designed to draw out what's in the darkness. And we don't want that because it will show who we really are. So we run from it because our deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. What does the light in your life look like? You guys close your eyes for a second. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every eye closed. I just want to ask you a question. I want you to think about your life right now. Think about where you're at. Think about what you've been through. Picture that in your head. What's brought you to this moment right now? And I'm going to read this. And I want to see if this is anything like what's going on right now in your life. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Is that any of you right now? Are any of you scared to let the light in because of what it might show? Think about that in your life right now. 
Are any of you messing around with that belief that you can do whatever you want to do as long as you know God? Maybe you don't really know God at all. Maybe there is no fear of God in you. And that is scary. So we sing this last song, God is Love. I want you to think about what light you have in your life, what light needs to shine in places that it does not, what light you need to practice, what muscles you need to flex with God. John's going to come lead us in that. And yes, God is love. God is all those things and every word. This is such a great song. But God loved us enough that he sent his only son to die for us to take all that nastiness away from us so that the light could take away the dark. Let the light take away the dark. Stop living in the dark. As Jeremy was, um, this was about in the middle of the message. He was talking about the um, the passage that says, it's, what if some don't believe? Does that make God, you know, does it make him untrue? Does it make him a liar? And I um, couldn't help but think that it sounds so ridiculous, I guess, when you put it the way he put it in the message. But the reality is that most of us, frame our understanding of God not by what is true but by what people do with the truth so we're what I mean by that is that people look at what Christians do or how they handle the scripture or how they live and then they make judgments about God based on that and I guess that's understandable in some ways from a human perspective but it's not a good way to live (laughs) Um, we're and it's not right. It's not true. God doesn't change. Like, like Jeremy said, God is, he is true and he is loving and he is just even if people don't act that way. Even if people know that and they do something else. And um, the song we're about to sing is called God is Love because we need to understand that in the, in the view of the fact that we have all failed and we're all sinful. We need to see the contrast of us and him and to know that he is love. And some people don't really believe that, but it's not because, I don't think it's because they've really gotten to know him. It's because they've met Christians or people of faith or whatever else who weren't loving. And just because a Christian isn't loving doesn't mean that God isn't love. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It makes sense in my head. But And so what I want to encourage you to do is, I don't know what your perspective of God is and, and we're all coming from different places. I would imagine most of us in the room are believers, and, and we're trying to know God as well as we possibly can, regardless of how he's been presented to us in some cases, and trying to find out who he really is and get to it. And, uh, and so maybe this song will be an affirmation of what you already believe and what you know about him, that he is love. Maybe some of you are, are still trying to try to figure out who God is, and all you had is the example of people, and it, and you've looked at Christians or you've looked at other people and you thought they don't look very loving to me. So if that's who God is, then maybe I'm not interested in him. And uh, what I want you to know is that God is so loving you couldn't even possibly understand. 
We can't even get our head wrapped around it. The depth of his grace and mercy, the fact that we are as sinful as Jeremy just reiterated to us and taught us and showed us through what Paul wrote, the fact that we are lost, that there's none of us who seek after him, none of us who do good, the fact that he would still send his son, the fact that he would still care enough for us, the fact that he would decide because it's in his character and who he is to be gracious to us and merciful to us, not even the least bit deserved. That's how loving God is. And so I want to encourage you as we're singing this and as we get ready in this study of Romans to turn the corner and head to the righteousness which has been revealed apart from the law. That's where he's going next in verse 21. I want to encourage you today as we sing this to mean it, to worship, to thank God for his love, for everything that he has done, to know that there is nothing we could ever do to earn his love graciously given to us. So let's, let's go to him right now, thank him, and then we'll sing this song together. Father, we thank you so much for your love that even though we are sinful and we are fallen and we have failed you over and over and over and over and over again, you loved us enough to send your son, Jesus, you loved us enough to give your life on the cross, having kept the law perfectly, which nobody else had done, giving your life on the cross, offering to be a sacrifice in our place, rising in power on the third day, back to life. God, we, we sit here and we stand here and we thank you for the grace you have given us to know that you loved us so much that you gave your only begotten son that any of us who believe in him for salvation will not perish but have eternal life. And so God, we recognize that right now. Maybe someone's accepting it for the first time right now. And we understand the deep and meaningful love, vast love that you have for us. And so right now, God, we want to thank you for it as we sing. We want you to begin planting in our heart the importance, the value, the sufficiency of the good news of what Christ has done for us, what we couldn't do for ourselves. We thank you for your love today, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.